A reading from 1 Samuel chapter 15. Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, go, depart. Go down from among the Malachites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of, the, of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. 
Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me, that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me, that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. O Lord, have mercy on us. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. There are two reasons that I read that long story from 1 Samuel to you. The first reason is that it's just good to know the stories. A few weeks ago in church, we heard the next lesson, the one that comes a chapter after this chapter, from 1 Samuel chapter 16, where Saul anoints David to be the king over Israel. It helps to understand that story if you know what happened before, if you know how things went for Saul, that this is the reason why God sent Samuel to anoint David as a king, a new king, a better man who was to take Saul's place. All of the stories from beginning to end of the Bible help us to understand the world we live in, ourselves, and most of all, they help us to understand God. They are finally stories about Jesus. And asking the tough question, what does this have to do with Jesus, that is how we can make sense of the Bible, even kind of obscure stories like this one. But the second reason I read the story is the one I want to focus on tonight. On these Wednesday services during Lent, I'm going to preach about repentance. It's probably not a very surprising theme for Lent, but as we unpack this story and others, we'll learn a few things about repentance. We'll see what repentance is and what it isn't. We'll see why it matters and what comes of it. And most of all, we'll see what repentance has to do with the cross of Jesus. But for starters, we should go back over this story of Saul. I know it's a bit confusing to hear it all at once, but this is a story about how not to repent. It's a story about how not to repent. Saul had been chosen by God as the king of Israel. He stood a head taller than any other man. He looked like a king. He was humble. He began his career by humbly carrying out the work of defending Israel against her enemies. He didn't even want to be king. When it was time to coronate Saul, he hid so they couldn't find him. And then after they coronated him, after they crowned him king, he went back to the farm to plow because he didn't want to be king. But then when need demanded it, he fought and he defended his people. And he began as a humble and good king. But then Saul fell. He fell from grace. In 1 Samuel, we actually see him fall three
three times, and it's a horrible tragedy. The story you heard today is his third and final fall. At the root of his fall is the same trouble that all sinners face, unbelief. He fell first when he was afraid and didn't trust God's word. And then he fell again in a more sinister way as his heart hardened and he turned against his own people, God's people, his own family, and even his own son, Jonathan. And then the fall we heard about in today's lesson ends with God's unyielding word of judgment. God sent Saul to destroy the Amalekites. It was the job of a king to do this kind of work. The Amalekites had been enemies of the people of Israel for a long time. They even attacked Israel when Israel first came out of Egypt, led by Moses during the Exodus, 500 years earlier. As soon as Israel left Egypt, there the Amalekites were attacking them and trying to stop them. And because they had done that, God cursed them. And he instructed the people of Israel to devote them to destruction, to leave no survivors. That's the command that God gave to Saul. You heard it. Wipe them out. Do not spare anyone or anything. It was to be vindication of God's people against the hand of their enemies. And so Saul attacked and defeated the Amalekites, but he didn't listen to God. He kept for himself the king of the Amalekites, whose name was Agag. And they spared all the very best of the livestock, the sheep and the oxen and the fattened calves and the lambs. Everything that was good, they kept. But the stuff that was worthless, that they gladly devoted to destruction. They gladly destroyed it. And you can see that it wasn't some merciful gesture, sparing the king and all the best livestock. It was covetous. Saul wanted to keep the king as a trophy, a symbol of his victory. He set up a monument for himself. It was a sign of his strength and might that he has captured the king of the Amalekites. And the livestock? Well, that was just plain greed on the part of the people of Israel. Saul's sin is clear. He disobeyed the word of God. And there's no doubt about it. And it grieved the Lord. There's this very strange turn of phrase that we can hardly make sense of. The Lord regretted that he had made Saul king. How can it be that God should ever regret anything? But it grieved him. And it pained Samuel, the prophet, so that he cried to the Lord all night long. What do you suppose he was crying? What was his prayer? I can't imagine that there would have been any prayer more important or more heartfelt than the one that matters most. He must have prayed that Saul would repent. That he would still finally turn from his evil ways. That Saul would acknowledge his sin and turn back to the Lord. That he would turn from his disobedience and be the king he was meant to be. It, so it caused such grief because it wasn't just Saul's soul at stake, but Saul was the head of Israel. And what goes for the head goes for the body. A corrupt and hardened king could only corrupt and harden his people. He was supposed to be a shepherd, but instead he was proving to be a wolf. Samuel came to Saul, but Saul, as you heard, had no shame at all. There were all the spoils of war just out in the open. And what did Saul say? He managed to convince himself that he had been obedient. He said, blessed be you to the Lord. He greeted Samuel with a blessing. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. 
He was proud of himself for having defeated the Amalekites, but it was not just the defeat of the Amalekites that God was interested in. God could have done that himself. He could have sent a plague or an earthquake or a foreign army. God didn't just want the Amalekites gone. He wanted a king with a heart that was set to obey his commandments. So Samuel replied, what is this that I hear then? I hear the sound of sheep and oxen. What have you done? Now at other times in the history of Israel, people had sinned by keeping back some of the spoils of war for themselves. There was a story from when Israel sacked Jericho, when they marched around Jericho with the trumpets following Joshua. There was a man who had kept from the city some of the things that were supposed to be destroyed. He kept them for himself and he hid them in his tent. Unlike Saul, he at least had the good sense to hide what he had done. He had some sense of shame. He had some recognition that what he had done was wrong. And when he was confronted with his sin, he didn't hide it any longer. He confessed and said exactly what he had done. He suffered grave consequences. He was stoned to death. The penalty was death for breaking that command. But at least, at least, his heart was not so hardened by shamelessness that even with his dying breath, he gave glory to God. Even when he knew what judgment was ahead of him, he gave glory to God and confessed. But that's not how it is with Saul. You notice that in the story. Listen to what Saul said. The people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. God had commanded one thing, and Saul decided that he could do it better. They could keep the very best stuff for themselves under the pretense of doing service to God. For when they offered sacrifices, whatever they would offer as a peace offering to God, they would get to keep and eat for themselves. It's a win-win. Saul would get to look pious, and everyone would get to enjoy the spoils of war. And God's plan, which really seems pretty wasteful, doesn't it? God's plan would be improved. But did you notice how Saul betrayed himself in his answer? Listen again to what he said. He said, The people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord, your God. Not my God. Your God, Samuel. I did this for your God. You should be happy. I didn't do anything wrong, Saul said. At that, Samuel had had enough. Stop. Stop making excuses. Stop lying. Stop refusing to acknowledge your sin. Why did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you do this evil? But again, Saul denied it. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I went on the mission. I defeated the Amalekites. The next words that Samuel speaks are words of prophecy. They're words of judgment against Saul. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination. You might as well be a sorcerer. And presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. You might as well worship somebody else. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. What is it that God desires? Not sacrifices, not religious service, not that you show yourself to be clever or pious, but that you hear and obey, 
that you humble yourself and submit to his word, that you believe that he is a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, and that his commands are not burdensome, but are meant for the joy of his children. Saul did not believe it, and so he hardened his heart and went his own way. And when he was confronted with his sin, he did not repent. He made excuses. He justified himself. He denied the word of God. Even when he finally admitted his sin, he is after a cheap pardon and not repentance. He's interested in saving face. Come with me, Samuel, and honor me before the people. Pardon my sin now. Just do it. Just give me this one favor. Even as he acknowledged that he sinned by fearing the people and obeying their voice, he goes on to show that he loves the glory that comes from men more than the glory that comes from God. He wanted to glorify himself and not to give glory to God. He wanted a pardon so that he could remain his, retain his status among the people, so that life could continue on as before. For Saul, there was no turning around. There was no interest in doing better. Samuel's judgment was true. You have rejected the word of the Lord. Now it's worth hearing and reflecting on this story as a cautionary tale. It's a story about how not to repent. In refusing to acknowledge his fault and making excuses, Saul hardened his heart so that it was more and more difficult for him to hear God's word until he reached a point where he couldn't tell the difference anymore between God's word and the vicious desires of his flesh. Sin is terrible in itself, but worse is hardness of heart, a dull conscience that doesn't feel its sin anymore. But this story is not useful merely as a cautionary tale. If it were, it would fit well among Aesop's fables and we could just leave it sitting there. But this story is a part of scriptures. It's a part of the history of God's kingdom, this history of his redemption of his people. This story points us to Christ. And here's how. Saul was unwilling to acknowledge his sin, and so he remained under judgment. Next week, we'll hear about David, King David, and his good confession and his absolution that he received. David was willing to acknowledge his sin. But neither Saul nor David was up to the task of redeeming Israel. They were both anointed as head over God's people, a shepherd of God's flock. But whether or not David or Saul repented of their sins, neither could stand as a substitute for the people. What goes for the head goes for the body. And if Saul or David were the last hope of Israel, the death of one and then the other would have spelled disaster for God's people. And in fact, it did for a time as they languished under the reign of wicked kings and then were carried into exile for their rebellion. But there was coming to the throne a new king, a new king who was humble, unlike Saul, and more righteous even than David. Perfect, in fact. And this king, this head over God's people, this shepherd, would lead a sinless life of perfect service, perfect love for God and his neighbors. Like Saul and David, he would die. But instead of dying on account of his own sins, as Saul and David did, this king would die on account of ours. 
Just think about that comparison for a moment. Saul couldn't bear to acknowledge his own sin. David was willing to receive discipline and acknowledge his sin. But Jesus stands accused of sins he did not commit. Crimes he never even considered in his heart. The faults of the very people accusing, judging, and crucifying him. He died for those sins. And he opened not his mouth. He didn't seek to vindicate himself. He didn't try to clear his name. He didn't make excuses or justify himself. He was a lamb who went uncomplaining forth. It's unimaginable. It's unimaginable why anyone would do that. Why did he do that? He did it to obey his Father's will, to offer the worship that God desires, obedience. Jesus was the one truly obedient King of Israel, the one shepherd who obeyed the Father's voice. And why did his Father command it? Why did he send his Son to suffer and die unjustly? He did it because he loves you. He did it for you. He did it because Saul and David could not shepherd God's wayward sheep. They couldn't even shepherd themselves. But God wanted his sheep home. He wanted them to safely graze in green pastures and beside still waters. He gave his son to suffer and die in your place because you are precious to him. And he raised his son from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, the new Israel, to us, who are his body. And what goes for the head goes for the body. You who have been united with Christ by baptism into his death will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So when he calls you to repent, do not harden your hearts, but acknowledge your sins, confess, and turn from them. Believe that you have a gracious and merciful God whose word to you is life. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.